Okay. It looks like it. There we oh, are. Oh, wow. Did it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is a this is a soft runback of an episode we did a few weeks ago. This time with Fred, the person who has the most insight into it, probably. Uh, you you came here with specific ideas, Fred. So tell me what those were. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about this role playing game. And they were talking about it and how it encouraged the use of house rules. Saying a lot of the rules had, you know, oh, you can do this with this, or you can do this with this. Here's kind of how to change this. Um, And then even like space in the back to put your own house rules and stuff like that. And house rules are a pretty common thing in role-playing games. Um, So I think that, you know, having, knowing how to like let people put house rules in your game and giving some direction for that is important because I don't think there's any way to get rid of them though I don't know that um either saying oh yeah just house rule this and you know have your gm do this is the best way to go either so was there any kind of examples of like ways to guide the GM or the players to know what things should be house ruled? I <laughs> so I the specific example I'm talking about seemed to take it with pretty much everything. Um, though I again I don't necessarily think that that's the best way to go. Uh, what what things should be. Um, and I, you know, and I, so I think they opened it up to everything, but I, I guess I don't know, Kat. Well, I mean, having house rules is a good thing, but you probably shouldn't have. Why did you get the original game if you're not going to play the original game at all? <laughs> I well, of... the, the, the concept in the game that Fred seems to describe, they, they, is they're writing free uh, for, they're putting the four coast rules in so you don't have to write your stupid house rules <laughs> and yeah, mess things up. That's <laughs> the thing that always gets me about like why you're making a game in the first place is you should be trying to cover things because you have more time and effort that you can expend on figuring out good rules that are easy and effective, whereas house rules tend to be spur of the moment things usually that it's like oh we don't actually like how this works so we're gonna come up with something real quick to cover it and we might patch it up gradually over time if we keep using it but it's like house rules usually are band-aid fixes so it's usually better to try to make the core game good enough that it doesn't need many band-aid fixes but I don't think there's really a way to prevent it because everybody has different preferences of what they want. And no game is going to be 100% perfect what every single player is going to want. So with the high adaptability factor of you know pen and paper, you can just use the pen on the paper and 
cross out the rule and write in a new one under it. So it's yeah. kind of nice to be able to be like, yeah, this rule sucks. I'm making a new one. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that like I've been thinking about um, when I'm trying, when I'm like, think about designing around it is that you should then kind of explain your intentions as the designer um, to make sure that when people do those Band-Aid fixes or when they kind of go, oh, I think I, you know, should tweak this to make it fit our table better, they know, okay, if, you know, I take the HP numbers and I put them up uh, because, like, I feel like the player characters are too squishy, um, that that's going to then, you know, have this effect on the encounters and affect the healing in this way. Um, and kind of here's, you know, if you know why the designer did something, or, you know, what, how that will affect other parts of the game, you can do that house ruling a little better. Hmm. That's the thing that I've generally tried to spell out in my game, is that if you don't know why something works a certain way, it's probably not a good idea to change it. But I also try to make it clear why things are the way they are for the most part, so that people can understand it and they can change it if it doesn't work for them because no rule is going to be perfect for every single possible situation that will come up like you can get something that's good most of the time like maybe 90 percent of the time this situation occurs yeah the rule will be fine for it but you're going to get into situations where the letter of the law will break the spirit of the law like why the law exists or the rule in this case if you follow the rules will actually defeat the purpose of the rule existing if you explain this to the players and it's like okay you're free to change anything just make sure you know why you're changing it and what the change is going to do like usually it's going to be fairly straightforward it's like you were saying like Oh, well, if we increase the health of the players, they're probably going to live longer. Hopefully. Unless for <laughs> some weird reason you put enemies in that do reverse damage or they only do percentage damage. Mm-hmm. Which but, would be odd. Yeah, that'd be very strange to do it that way, but I, I'm sure some game has done it somewhere. God, probably. Um, yeah, but I, you know, when I read a role playing game, a lot of times, like I, you know, you look through it and you're like, okay, here's here's all the rules and here's all the stuff, but I I don't see that um, explanation crop up. I mean, especially in older games, you tend to see it a little bit more in newer games. Um, it's not a, i don't know it doesn't seem to be a common thing it's it there's of usually the mention of like that kind of rule zero uh you know mm. as we said do what you do what you got to do to make it work um but yeah there's often not a lot of just kind of designing around putting house rules in the game yeah unless you're fifth edition weird because it's like this is a major part of most games like, especially the bigger the game is, the more it needs it. Like, D&D kind of needs it more than other games because it claims to be, you know, 
one size fits all. It's like, well, mm -hmm. the rules don't support that. So you're going to have to change the rules a fair bit. So it makes sense. Whereas if you're playing something like Bluebeard's Bride, it's this is a fairly narrow purpose for the game. You're probably only going to play it once. You're probably only going to do the one thing that the game's meant to do. You probably don't need a whole bunch of support for house rules for it because you're probably not going to be in a situation where they would actually help very much. But the more broad you're trying to get your game to be, like, my game definitely needs, like, the inclusion of understanding that people are going to house roll it just because it's a very broad scope. So mm. I have to take that into account. Uh, Rob kind of has to take that into account. Mark's game is almost... In basically house rule the game so i think he's already done that well mm -hmm. debatably there's not house rule so much as the so much as you are designing so much as the, the game system is flexible and what it represents but uh i don't yeah i i mean it mark's game uh praxis arcanum is you basically define the setting, you define the weird things about the setting, like is it magic or max or some other weird thing like that. You define like all these things at the start of play of like what most of the rules and such are about, what the nature of the game is and such. There's not a whole lot to it other than basically the the core mechanics of running the game itself that are set in stone and even those are a little bit more open so i think this is actually really open compared to most games yeah but the the rules themselves are not uh how should I phrase this, are not adjusted by the action of playing the game or creating the setting. That so part, like, I suppose, is true, yeah. The rules themselves are static. It's just... Sort of. There's a lot of interpretation still. Yep. Like, there is a lot of interpretation where it's like, okay, you drew the four of clubs. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> like... There are some rules for interpreting that, but there's also a lot of leeway for your interpretation, so that's not quite I mean, the same as a house rule, though. But mm. yeah, when you have to change how the game works during play, I do think that is partially house ruling. Because people will build up a repertoire of what they tend to think of when if they play the same game, like, say, three times in a row, they'll probably tend to build up a list of things that they thought worked particularly good a certain way. And there's always the thing that, like, people, even if they're not trying to make house rules, they will read the rules and misunderstand them somehow, or they didn't read it through clearly, and they get some completely different 
idea of how something's supposed to work. And they just keep running with it, so it's going to be house ruled no matter what you do. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. To be fair, if you read the rules once you set it down, you don't remember them because they didn't really make sense. I mean, yeah. that basically needs a house rule at that point. Yeah, I think that's a problem <laughs> with a lot of role-playing games, unfortunately, is that they're often rather, or a little arcane, um, and can be hard to, can be, you know, a little odd or hard to follow, and so sometimes it's just easier to be like, and eh, just roll a d6 and we'll go from there. Yeah... Especially, well, I was going to say especially in amateur games, but I also have to include Shadowrun in that. I, games where it's just like, this is a convoluted, weird-ass way to do this. Like, why would you do this in the first place, assuming anybody realized this is how it's supposed to work? And it's mm -hmm. like... It's just one of those weird things, like, people will overthink things when they're designing a game a lot of times. Like, rather than keeping it streamlined and simple and trying to do a specific thing as the end goal, a lot of early designers really get hung up on the process of the design, it seems. Where it's like, they lose track of, this is what I want this role to do. And they get fixated entirely on, okay, I have to get this role to be exactly perfect in the mechanical aspect of it. I'm going to spend, it's going to take 37 steps for you to roll to see whether you trip down the stairs and break your neck or not but it will be the most accurate form of checking this ever. I mean, there's only going to be like a 0.0027% chance of you breaking your neck by tripping down the stairs, unless there's like this other possibility. I mean, if somebody was talking to you at the top of the stairs, like you, that would modify your check, but it's like, you don't need to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's well, the so exact rule that I would. Kevor. Also, uh, any attempts at any system that has you randomly having a chance to do that, it, that is within, how should I phrase this, that, that is able to model as the, the uh, reasonable percent that is that represents reality is a terrifying system and innately insane. Uh, I don't know how to phrase it more than... Uh, I assume they're all percentile systems. Well, yeah, okay. So the, the, the lowest degree of, of... How should I phrase this? The lowest degree uh, of like thing that a percentile system could model is 1%. Well, that's not entirely true, but in terms of a die, it is. 
in terms of a single die roll, but... But yes, within 27 <laughs> die rolls, correct. But but you, you see, you, what you were saying is each each step is its own die roll, and so you modeled it as 26 separate instances of attempting to do that. So, sorry, uh, I, I was just getting stuck on something stupid. Don't worry about it. No, it's okay. This is the kind of thing that designers often get stuck doing. And then you wind up with these weird rules that it's like, why do I have to? Why are there mechanics? Why are there three pages of mechanics for this? Hmm. Yeah, and see, that's the kind of thing where when I'm reading that role-playing game, my eyes just glaze over. I'm like, okay, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to use this rule, even if I play this game. Like, I'm just gonna own anyway. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm just gonna go. Oh, instead of doing this convoluted bullshit, I will just rule what makes sense, and then we'll move along with our lives. Which um, is a lot of the time ideal. Like, hopefully, the actual rules are quick, easy to use, like streamlined. They've had some thought put into them. I mean, this is what we mentioned earlier about. If you're making a game, well, it should be higher quality rules than just band-aid fixes that were made in the spur of the moment, hopefully. Yeah, but to get back to the point is, if the game puts in those rules, those house rules are probably to modify, uh, I, I'm making an assumption, and Fred can correct me, those house rules are probably to modify feel in the game, and to or to uh, dynamically suit different tables, like there might be simplified movement rules as an option. Hmm. Yeah. Or, or as I said earlier, like modifying HP numbers or damage numbers or something, which seems to me, from my experience, to be fairly common. Um, you know, people going, oh, you know, I feel like this is a little slow. Let's put those numbers up a little bit or whatever. Um, just because, yeah, you know, it fits the table a little bit better. Or Yeah, no, I, I was just... referring to the specific thing where you said there was a game that had built-in house rules and house rules. Catrice mm. is like, what's the point of that? And I'm trying, I'm giving mm. my guess as to what their logic was. I mean, yeah, I think there, uh, there's, well, I think the one that I'm referring to, um, Gabor, since you're familiar with this, it was that re- that last episode of System Mastery. Made I, me think about I, I am not cut off on System Mastery. Okay, fair enough. I, the last episode <laughs> they did was... The, 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 I haven't had to listen to, to, to catch up on that. I think, I think I'm still in 2020. It's oh, wow. Back on that. I am right <laughs> now. Okay. Well, anyway, they did um, Box something or other. It's an OSR game, and it, it's just, they were talking about, like, how it has, uh, every rule has a little sidebar that kind of says, oh, yeah, you can also do this, or just ignore it, um, and stuff like that. And I think that that is more just to be very permissive, and because the author, you know, kind of feels that you should allow people to do whatever you want with the game. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I've also seen other instances where they, yeah, there's house rules where you can kind of go, okay, I'll choose this variant of the rules to give me this kind of feel for the game. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense, especially now that you've mentioned like the OSR context, because OSR as a concept is basically we're remaking D D in many cases with our house rules. Like that's basically what it is. So it it actually kind of makes sense for that to exist. I mean not all of them are like that, but there are a pretty good chunk of them. Like a lot of them do seem to have been like this is how we played it back when we were playing it and we had this specific sort of feel going for it and we kind of want to recapture that but we also want to share that with other people because basically because of our house rules this changed the nature of the game and it's a game that other people would not have experienced but if you're going to do that it's like well, our entire game is technically house rules. <laughs> we should probably make sure other people are aware that they can house rule it. That would be kind of weird if you didn't realize that this was a possibility. Hopefully that didn't kill the chat. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, that was reasonable. I just, I just was thinking about reasons why you would do that, like what you would call a house rule in a game. Uh, anyway, I was, I was specifically thinking of Trophy Dark versus Trophy Gold, but I, I don't, I haven't actually gotten around to playing either of those somehow. Well, I've, I'm not particularly familiar. Can you expand? Okay, so trophy in, is a system that is mostly the same. Trophy dark is hyper lethal. Trophy gold has a chance of you getting out of it alive. Okay, and they're they're like they use the same core system, but there's a lot of fundamental small changes that uh, alter the tone and lethality to to suit the two different modes of the game. Yeah, it does kind of make sense that. You'd almost need like a fairly different like mostly the same core rules but probably need some differences if there's going to be like high lethality and then medium lethality even like that does change a lot more than just oh you get more health like you can do that but a lot of the aspects of the game change drastically. Like, oh right, that that was me remembering wrong. Uh, so the difference between trophy, uh, well, well, somewhat remembering wrong. Like what I said is kind of true, but trophy dark, uh, trophy dark is the one shot version. Trophy gold is the campaign style version. Okay, so they're. Are they both then fairly lethal, but Trophy Gold oh. is just you're more like you're less likely to die. Tro trophy Gold is you. I I think you're. I think the the idea is you're you play a continuous character in Trophy Gold, so that they they probably are less likely to die. I, I, I'm sorry, I haven't played them. 
I've only looked over the rules briefly a few months ago, so I feel kind of bad for bringing it up now. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, maybe someone will find something interesting there. Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely thought about doing things like that too, uh, of putting specific variants into a game. So I like I haven't seen that very often. Besides uh, what you described and a couple other games that have, like, oh, you can do kind of this, this, or this. Mm. The start. I think it's probably important to also mention, to some degree, what rules are attached to each other. Because, like, there are some things that if you change one, it's changing a lot of other things that are related to it. Mm. And if you're not aware about that, it can break a lot of stuff in the process. Because, yeah. like, looking at, like, one of the games Rob's pointed out a fair bit is um, Riddle of Steel. And that is a very high lethality game. The, the combat system only makes sense as high lethality one versus one duels. If you significantly increase the amount of health and the number of enemies you're fighting, the entire game starts falling apart. Especially if you're fighting on a regular basis. It's not like a D&D game, as I understand it, where you can go into combat several times per session. It's like, if you are in combat, somebody has fucked up. Mm -hmm. So, I think some things you do need to be aware of that this is integral to the core concept of the game. If this is something you're going to change, like if you were working on, on My Games Yours and you're like, yeah, let's change the game so that there's a lot more luck involved, you're probably better off playing a different core game. Like, you're going to have to gut so much of the game to make this work that you're just better off starting off with a, a base game that is closer to what your desired game is. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, um, kind of what we're saying, if you'll forgive a tortured analogy, um, is that, like, so if your role-playing game is a car... Like, you have built a car, and you don't... You're not going to sell a car without a manual of how to, like and keep up that car so when you write your rpg give us the manual of how to mess with it because we're going to mess with it anyways um but make sure you know that we're going to mess with it in good ways or at least that we could mess with it in good ways um instead of just blindly going and you know moving fast and breaking things but moving fast and breaking things is good <laughs> That's what they want. I mean, every action movie seems to follow this, and it seems to be working for them. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, not all of us are Jason Statham. Sounds like a personal problem to me. <laughs> oh, well, maybe so. It's okay, though, like... I mean, 
in terms of like the game design thing, like tabletop RPGs are weird because basically almost everybody who plays one ends up being sort of a game designer to some degree. It is a very interestingly simple, at least on the surface, uh, set up for designing your own games. Like, it's a lot harder to mod a video game in most cases, even if it's a video game that intentionally has modding tools built into it. It's still hard to do so. You usually still need some understanding of how to build stuff, how to to model something, how to program something, even like a basic concept. You don't really need that in tabletop role-playing games, mm. which makes them a little bit weird. It's like, if you want to change anything, any house rule, you're basically acting as like a game designer to some degree. Mm. And that includes something like, say, you're playing Pathfinder and you want a new race for your character. It's like I saw like this movie and they had these really weird creatures and I really want to play as one. It's like, I will write up the rules for how to play one. Congratulations, you now have house roll uh, content for your game. And that is design. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty good thing to have. But because you're adding this kind of stuff, it's also it's modifying how the game works in a fairly substantial way and may have consequences you did not originally intend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, I think I will um, edit my earlier analogy. You know, when you, a role-playing game is not like a car, really. It's more like a kit car or something. Like, you get most of a car, and then you kind of, you and your friends have to put it together and then keep it together as you barrel down the highway. Um, yeah. Oh, dear. And so, yeah. I was hoping for something slightly more legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is the old... You are going to get us. Nothing legal. <laughs> Unfortunately, Flail Forwards has to say, well, we totally encourage you to do like build your own car or kit car or whatever. Don't drive it on the highway or at least have a good cover story for how we did not tell you to do this. <laughs> um, and if you do, don't send me the video. I don't want to see that. Absolutely not. Yes, he does. <laughs> Just send him a link. You can go on our Discord, by the way. And like it'll be in the show notes for uh, the episode. So if you want to go and do this and then send Fred the, uh, the video, you can totally do this on our Discord. Hint, hint. Mm-hmm. Or if you just want to, you know, my address is one, two, three, 
uh, Street Street, Anytown, USA. So if you just want to, you know, come on over and give me a ride in your sick kit car, um, yeah, sounds like fun. Oh, come off it. We know that you're not there. You're in 123 Street Street, Anytown, Canada. Oh, no. I've been found out. <laughs> you thought you could get away. I thought I could just pass that off. Oh, no. Now the cops are going to get me. I mean, I guess you're going to have to become a hobo. Just skip between towns. They'll never catch you. Never find you. <laughs> nope. Never have and they <laughs> never will. Fair enough. Still, um, um, to get back on topic, there's actually something that we would probably be a good idea to include in a lot of games that should be in there but isn't in a lot of them, which is a guide for making your own rules. Mm -hmm. Oh. So, like... Hmm? I was going to say that was just what I was going to go to. Fantastic. Oh, great. Moo. Well, do you have any thoughts on it? I mean, the the thing that I was going to talk about um, is one of the things that <clears throat> I really like about, like, Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, like, for example, Apocalypse World has a big section in the back of it about hacking the game. Um, in fact, that's, that's a good chunk of that, that first Apocalypse World book, is just, here's how to kind of make new moves, here's how to hack the game and make new playbooks and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's part of why Power the Apocalypse works so well as a framework, is because it was made open and, you know, Vincent Baker came through and was like, here's how this game sort of works, here's how you can mess with it, luck yeah i think that's a very useful thing because if you explain how it works and how to actually make these changes how to do house rules or pack the game for your own purposes it's a lot easier to do it rather than trying to figure out what their reason was when they did these things like this is something that I'm building for my own for a specific thing is the rules that I used as a guide for creating the different species in my game. So that if somebody wants to make their own, then they can actually see, like, here's just a, a checklist. And I think I've got, like, a dozen different points of, like, here's specific things that I did to make sure that they're kind of balanced against one another. And so here's things that keep them interesting. Like you should have preferably at least three sources of inspiration before you get started. Uh, stuff like that. Things that if you follow all of this, you should get something that looks vaguely similar to what I've got in the book already. It won't be exact, obviously, because doing your own house rule it's probably going to be something that's not in there and you probably want to do something silly which is great <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> i mean 
it's been put to use already once when the playtesters decided they wanted magical jellyfish. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it is. And they're able to get something that is mechanically sound and has sensible stuff. It actually makes a lot of sense the way they've set it up. So it's nice that these actually exist. They don't have all of the rules finished for them, so it's not fully playable, but it's close. It's close enough that you could use this in, like, open RP at the very least, and it would make total sense to use it the way that it's set up. Yeah, I think um, kind of, yeah, giving that space um, to be like, you know, here's how to work with it. And also making sure that, you know, the rules in your game um, are, like, that they can be changed. Um, like one of the things, you know, I talked talk about Apocalypse World a second ago. Um, one of the things that works really well and is, you know, across all sorts of Powered by Apocalypse games is the, you know, the move structure. And that is, at least to me, and I think a lot of people, so easy to work with and so simple that it's, you know, it's really easy to just throw a new rule into the game. Um, because mm -hmm. it's just, a, you know, basically a win-then statement, or an if-then statement. Um, yeah. And that, that's one of the beauties of it is that it is fairly simple. But it's effective at the same time. Like, it's easy to understand the concept behind it. Mm. So, it's... Like, it helps that it's a low bar of entry. Like, you don't have to be, like, some master game designer who's been working on stuff for a really long time and can see the full web of how everything's held together. It's like... No, this is fairly simple. You can just remove this and add something completely different in its place. And as long as it's vaguely similar, then you don't have to worry about it breaking. Mm. Like, some resilience to the, the system's rules itself are also important, I think, there. Yeah. Like, it can... If you build the game in such a way that you can change parts of it and they're not so intrinsically tied to other parts that everything breaks if you start removing things, I think that's probably also almost a requirement. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, a a deep want for me, and I think other people too, to kind of make like to make my 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 role playing game this really uh, nested like complex overlapping structure with all these different things that are interconnected, um, and that's cool and works in certain cases. But yeah, you're right. If if it if you can remove one piece and it makes the entire structure fall over, um, it's not a resilient. Or, you know, a game that is open to the more um, free-flowing styles that often happen at tables and kind of, you know, how things actually work in play. 
Yeah, something like my game. Again, it's it's resilient within the context of if you're adding a new species, it'll be fine. If you add a new weapon, it'll be fine. If you add new uh, skills for like magic and such, it'll be fine. If you start removing core components, it's probably going to break as it's very intricately built. So that's why I've actually got like a second item that's going to be released at about the same time as the main game, which is like a rules light version, which basically strips out all of the parts that are reliant on each other. And it's just easy extremely uh simplified version like it's not streamlined it's going to lose like a ton of the mechanical depth in it but it'll be much more easy to hack it'll be vastly closer to something like um apocalypse world in terms of you can build a new game from this base and it'll work and you can strip things out of it and it won't break but the main game that I have, which is fairly intricate, yeah, you have to be really careful when you start changing any of the core functionality. Like, you can't redo the armor system without redoing half the game, as I have learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that was the case. I just didn't realize it was going to be quite this much of a... I have been working on this patch for a year and a half. I I checked yesterday. There are 107 pages of patch notes so far, and I'm not done. Oh, man. And I was going to go back to, you know, quick, small patches so I could get them out quickly and easily. So, you know high turnover time and such and just constantly be fixed and everything but it's just this is just one of those things that as i fixed one of these problems it it broke everything else and then oh yeah this part wasn't i gotta fix this oh and this hasn't actually been updated in four years and i should have fixed this years ago because it's no longer accurate Okay, it feels like we may have strayed slightly on topic, but, you know. That is our style. <laughs> I mean, we were pretty on topic for most of that. Yeah, yeah, no, you you were doing a good job. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you, Gavoir. Oh, yay. Uh, we know Fred was doing a good job. <laughs> I oh no, no, Catrice was too. I was just gonna try. I was trying to meander us vaguely back as we were just escaping the orbit. <laughs> All right, it's okay. Anyway, sorry. That's yeah, fine. Okay. So, are we gonna talk about making things compatible? So yeah, we've been talking about like some of the same stuff about designing your game for compatibility. Um, since a lot of the games Fred and myself create, as far as I know, unless things have changed with Fred, uh, are basically extended uh, host rule screens that turn them into something that re doesn't resemble the original shape at all. Um, 
do you, Fred, uh, for the finished product of how should I phrase this? For the finished product of your game, do you think it, it would be hackable as something recognizably itself? <laughs> uh, 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 how should I phrase this? I'm, that's not quite the question I want to ask. Um, uh, okay. How module, uh, how resistant to attempts to hack it and uh, how accepting of new parts is, do you think your game's final product will be? Ooh, that's... How many limbs can we hack off? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's see. I mean, I am... I, I haven't written it yet, but I am planning the the section on how to mess with it because I love sections like that. Um, I... I think because I want to have um, kind of the core uh, set of rules be fairly intrinsically linked, it wouldn't be the easiest game to just rip something out of or put something into it. Um, but I certainly am aiming for it to be relatively easy to move things around and to alter things as need be. I think probably the main thing that you want to focus on to start with is probably just setting up playbooks for the setup. Like, you do have a very specific theme that you're working with, and each of the types of playbooks that you have going on, they do have a different feel and a different uh, purpose behind them. So, kind of building on that and basically saying okay if you're gonna add like a new one consider this is the purpose of the current ones here's what you would probably want to use as your foundation point and then build up from there from it to add your own like that would probably be a good starting spot yeah definitely i mean one of the things that's nice about yeah, as I've already talked about, the Power by the Apocalypse framework is is fairly easy to mess with and add things just as a as a base. Um, even though I I have already messed with it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean the I hopefully have a lot of things where yeah, here's how you can yeah uh, uh, right I I figured out the actual question I wanted to ask. <laughs> How many degrees of separation from the initial point do you think it would take before it count started counting as a different game? Oh. Um. Like, where where would you consider the cutoff points for it no longer being your game? Hmm. And having evolved into a new entity. I think... I mean, I'm, uh, you know, as I, I've alluded to before, I'm fairly loose with a lot of this stuff so it'd have to go pretty far um i would say either if you make a distinct change in like the core mechanic say if you go from rolling 2d6 to you know doing like a d20 roll instead of using the like 2d6 apocalypse world um table so to speak um or if you were to move it 
kind of outs like far outside the genre like because i'm doing you know it for people who don't know uh kind of a fringe hobo thing but if you went to you could you know safely go to like more of a oh what, what's a good thing i don't know like the sister of the traveling pants or some shit like that kind of a you know a more feel good just travel story bill bryson shit um you're totally on Mars now. You have to travel between the different domed cities without running out of oxygen in between them. That would work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you'd have to yeah. kind of... Actually, yeah, that would work fine. Um, you could easily do that. I think once you took travel out of there, that would that would change it significantly. Like, once you go, okay, no longer have the map, we no longer the miles um you know that is to me a significant enough basis that it would it would change the genre and the way you play the game yeah i think that would be a pretty core fundamental one like i you'll notice even my random silly suggestions still involve travel mm -hmm. like i i can't really picture wanderlust without the wandering part yeah okay so, would here's a question: If somebody added, uh, oh, how should I phrase this? Like, kept most of the game the, the same, but added a distinct quest and mechanics tied to that, as uh, our like probably involve a bit of thought, but our Iron Sword, how would that be considered enough of a hack that you would no longer consider it your baby? Hmm. Um, so if you kind of took out the wandering part, so to speak, kind of so wanderlust, but the search for the grail. <laughs> yes, but the search, the the search for yes, exactly. Mm. I mean, I, I think I would still that would be kind of an odd variant, but I would still consider that you know basically wanderlust. Uh, okay. Yep. Oh, sorry. There's a. There was a. I think I got what I wanted out of that tangent. Sorry. I got <laughs> what I wanted out of the rest of you. Confirmed. Uh, the knights of the round table are now hobos. I'm reasonably sure that was at least partially true. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, I mean. But uh, also, <laughs> but what I was going to say was, I'm pretty sure that is the premise of at least uh, one urban fantasy novel. Oh, I'm sure. I could totally see it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, this totally makes sense. But I mean, like, Wanderlust without the wandering wouldn't be Wanderlust. Yes. I think that is probably the key to it. Like, you could probably. I, I forgot Fred's game was also Wanderlust. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you can even change the basic premise of it being mostly like hobos and people that are transitory between. Uh, living arrangements like they don't necessarily have to be hobos but it has to be 
you know, the wandering minstrel, the the person that basically just got up and decided that they're they're gonna sell their home and wander off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like I think you could actually change that and it would feel very different, but it would still be it would still be the basic concept of the game, but it might I don't know, I almost consider it being like a different game that's just using the same uh, system, almost. Mm. Okay. I have a question. Okay. I'm going to ask the same question to Catrice. So, because I believe that there's insight to be gained in how, in how different the answer may be. Okay. So you, your game is also fairly hackable. Your your game is also fairly universal by intent. And, you know, there, there are things. I think... I think you could probably be kind of similar to the Fred thing. Like, if you removed the nature of redemption and self-discovery from the game, you'd still have the same system, but it would be a different game. But I think if you started changing the core feel of having a lot of different options and having in-depth character creation, like if you tried to set it up so you had quick character creation, you could pump out a new expendable character in five minutes or less. I don't think it would have the same game to it. I don't think it could play anything remotely similar. Um, I, I think if you started messing with the level of luck in things to the point where it, it's no longer a case of your choices matter and turns into your choices matter if the dice agree with you kind of thing. I think that would fundamentally change the nature of the game as well. Like, I don't think that would count as my game anymore. Um, I think those are probably the main ones that would change the nature of it. Like you can. Okay. Okay. So, the question, the side question for that, Catrice, is uh, how should I phrase this kindly? Uh, what do you believe the degree to which a game, a game remains Seorsa is a wider degree than the difference between Apocalypse World and Masks? <laughs> I don't know how to phrase the question better than that. Mm. I would say probably... I don't know enough about Mass. Like, I know a bit about it. Okay, but... so Mass... Okay, so here are the, a br- here's a brief rundown of the differences between Mass and Awakened World. Mass, you're, in Mass, your stats are fluid and constantly changing. 
by character action. Their total remains the same, but your stats are always going up and down. Mm -hmm. Okay, in masks, you do not have HP. You have conditions that actively make you worse at uh, at certain roles if you have the condition applied. Okay, makes sense. In masks, uh, there the there are special secondary reaction moves for important NPCs, even on successful rolls. To represent the thread and back and forth of a supervillain. Because uh, in, in, in Powered by the Apocalypse, helping people is an HX role, which is the, which is the unique stat that is how much people like you. And if you max out your HX, you gain an experience point. In Masks, helping people in, uh, is done by spending points from the team pool. Hmm. Which is established at the start of uh, encounter with a supervillain. Yeah, this I can see a lot of overlap there, but I can see that being fairly different in terms of the yeah. intent of the type of game you're trying to get out of it. Yes, and <laughs> yeah, that... what they have in common: you roll two d six plus a number on seven to nine. It... On seven to nine, a success with the cost. On six or less, <laughs> uh, a miss. On and things you do not succeed in what you're doing. On a ten plus, you succeed with little or to no cost. Mm. Yeah, I think. I think it would, like, I don't think the core system, like, the the core resolution mechanic is the key component in my game. I Like Fred said, if you change from 2d6 to 1d20, it would change a lot. I actually don't think that would actually affect my game that much. Like, No. I bet it would change the math on certain things, but I don't think that's the fundamental principle. I think the, the thing that would break it would be more a matter of like the way it's set up at the moment, you basically are not trying to roll. You're usually like, here is a set of situations the enemy is, or not necessarily even just the enemy, but the task you're trying to deal with is significantly harder than you have skill to deal with. What do you do to make yourself more capable or the problem less of a problem until you don't have to roll for it anymore? Like that's the fundamental concept. If you changed that, I don't think it'd be the same game anymore just because you have changed the basic premise of what the players are trying to do in any given situation. So you could change the dice, but I don't think you can change the nature of when you're trying to roll dice. Uh, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Sorry, I, sorry about that weird derail, but I think it it was something that I was curious about and was relevant enough to the topic and 
definitely something that didn't come up in the initial version of this. Okay. It's fair. Uh, no, I think it's important to define like what what is the heart of your game. Yep. And what is yeah, and what do you consider what do you consider a house rule and what do you consider oh god that's a that's a new thing now? Because there are things like PPTA and Forge in the Dark that where the, the distinction is uh, somewhat blurred <laughs> in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not wrong. I don't disagree. But, like, I've heard, I, I have no problem calling Monster of the Week and Apocalypse World the, the same, like, different games. And those are much closer than Apocalypse World and Masks. <laughs> Or Apocalypse World and Blades in the Dark. Much, much closer. I I think the real point where you get the cross, like where it stops being the same game, is when you're going to be changing the nature of what you're trying to do in the game. Like, Fred's Wanderlust, if you stop doing the wandering part this is the core premise of the game. If you don't do that anymore, then it's not Wanderlust. You're doing something else. Like, this is... It doesn't even matter if it's the same setting with the same types of characters and the same rules for rolling. You're not doing that game. You might have a completely different game that's based on the same system, but it's not the same game any longer. Like, I think you could have a different setting, but it's still the same game. You can change the the playbooks or the classes or whatever out. And it's still the same game as long as you're doing the same thing. Uh, And as long as how you accomplish a thing has not become so alien to the original point. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say kind of how how you do it is is somewhat important as well. Yeah, I, I consider like those two separate parts the same thing. So like what you're trying to do is in like your goals and what you're doing is in the actual gameplay is how you actually are accomplishing those goals. If either of those two things change dramatically then that's where I think it becomes a different game. Okay. What other thing do I want to talk about in terms of house rules that I... And making... Yeah. Uh, Fred, do you have anything, any comments you want to make about making games modular before, since you didn't, you weren't here for that episode? About making them modular? Like, making them easy to hack and easy to make into the... and easy to change to what people want and need. I mean, I think I've said all the major points, which is mostly just... Right, I did did step out for 20 minutes there. I'm sorry. That's okay. I mean, I think the big ones are, you know, being somewhat open and transparent about your rules, you know, both why they're there, what they're doing, um, you know, why you chose to do them in this way. And also, um, also like, 
not having everything too complex and interconnected. Uh, like you need, there needs to be some, uh, you know, disconnectedness in the system so that things can be taken out and slotted in and messed with without having to deal with it affecting every single tiny other thing in the game. So, now the ultimate one. What about hacking games into other games? <laughs> I, I know nothing about that. that that's ridiculous. Who would do that? that? That's a crime. <laughs> it is, but I I can only think about, like... Come on. Oh, we, we know that Shadowrun is the game that's best played in any system other than Shadowrun. <laughs> It's not the only one. Um, <laughs> it's not the only one that has that problem, but it it is the most pro it is the most trendy and popular of them, though. It is the only one that has a marketing push that I that I know of that I would consider <laughs> it has I think to have that problem in an extreme degree. Um, but Catrice, when you first said that, I uh, I was thinking of put, inserting an entire game into another game. <laughs> oh, so you're playing this other game, and then the characters stop and it's like, okay, let's play a game of this other game within the game. Oh no, I, I was I was thinking of something somehow slightly more absurd. Uh, so the game starts, and it has all the rules of masks, but it has, uh, but it has twenty pages of extra rules of a system that works differently. That is that are also in play at the same time. Yeah, you just. Uh... Get some Heroes Unlimited in there. You know, I actually see that happening because we know Jonathan's game is actually ideal for doing that. Yes, Jonathan's game is a game you play in the middle of your game. Uh, it is, is the weird part. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, is, I'm not arguing with you. It's perfectly built for doing a chase scene. It, it does a chase scene. That's all it does. But it's really good at doing the chase scene. So, and it's separate enough from stuff that you can basically dump it into the middle of any other game where you're having, oh, we're going to have a chase scene. You can just drop, cut to the chase in it. And it's like, this works. Like, I'm pretty sure you could do that even in Sarasa, my own game for that. Just drop, cut to the chase in the middle of it. It wouldn't even feel that weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, so now I think what maybe kept, you know what we could go to then is we should just start reprinting Cut to the Chase and maybe some other games in the back of our books. Just be like, hey, you know, if you want to do a chase scene, check the back of the book and play Cut to the Chase. I would I think I would honestly rather than including it within the Book, I think I'd want to link to the actual Cut to the Chase page and just be like, if you want to buy this and just drop it in in the middle of it, it actually doesn't break anything. <laughs> hmm. Yes, uh, we uh, yes, we've done our we've done our every, the our mandatory every few months. We need to we need to 
uh, how should I phrase this? Pimpin' Hot. to the Chase, because it is the, because it is currently, I think, the most complete thing you can buy from any of us. Yeah, it's, Probably. it's in, um, that collection. What is it called? You could also buy it as a standalone uh, uh, version with extra things as a standalone from Drive Through RPG. Yeah. Maybe other places, but I think just Drive Through RPG. Actually, I'm not sure who's going to be second. Mark and Rob are both to the point that they're purchasing physical, uh, physical playing cards in for his game so yeah yeah there, there's that but well i am secretly monty cook so i beat all of you guys <laughs> oh I, I think i have to leave the podcast now <laughs> um, <laughs> i i have said some shit about you <laughs> in <an episode laughs> here. i know and now it's time for my revenge <laughs> Yeah, that's, that sounds about tip. That sounds about typical. Mm. Oh, dear. <laughs> I've read enough of your games. <sighs> oh, Monty Cook. Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, uh, does anybody else have a major thing they want to cover, or do we no. just want to do a short episode? I think that's pretty good for this. We've done a pretty good job uh, covering it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that was us flail forward for the week. I don't think we really introduced ourselves. I think we said my name. I'm Fred. Our was also here. As was yes, Patrice. Um, thank you for joining us. And we. I really hope this wasn't anybody's first episode. Good <laughs> every, night, everyone. Every episode is somebody's first episode, and uh, I'm sorry. No, it's not. You've always been here, and you will never escape. Why you thought you could escape now, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's night. It's always night where you are, but because it's night, you're not going to bed, are you? You're just going to hit play on the next episode. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I couldn't. I understand binge re, binge uh, listening to podcasts. I could not understand binge listening to Flail Forward. <laughs> I say as a member of this podcast, mm-hmm. which means that my my opinion is invalid. Actually, I mean, is there any reason that you've listened to this entire episode, or did you just skip to the end to see if it gets any better? It doesn't. <laughs> We just keep going on tangents. And then we depart. Good night. Good night.